Amen. Uh, friends, we come to the very last week of the month of June, and we're finally getting into our summer sermon series called Epic Poetry. Why is it called Epic Poetry? Because it's a study of the Psalms, which are poems. Now, you may or may not know this, but the Psalms were written by a number of different authors over a span of a thousand years with the earliest psalm going back to about 1500 B.C. and the last psalm from about 500 B.C. And today, we start with perhaps the most famous psalm in the book of Psalms, written by the author of more psalms than anyone else, right? Who is that? That's right, King David, who wrote 73 of the 150 psalms that we have in our Bible. And in the psalm that we're looking at today, this poem... He talks about sheep and a shepherd. He draws on his own personal experience because before he was King David, we know that for years he was Shepherd David, that's right. And he draws on that personal experience in order to give us this magnificent poem about a shepherd and his sheep that has brought encouragement to followers of God for 3,000 years now. Think about that. As as we read and look at this psalm today, we join with believers who have been encouraged and strengthened by this poem for 3,000 years. Isn't that beautiful? In, In the poem, he talks about sheep and he talks about a shepherd. And who is it that is the shepherd? Right? First two words. You got it. The Lord. I'm not going to put any of this up on the screen, by the way. So you're going to want to open your Bibles, turn in your devices so that you can look along with me. And when you look in your Bibles, what you see is that that word Lord in your translation has four capital letters. What does that mean? That's right. It's the covenant name of God, Yahweh, isn't it? This isn't just the generic term for Lord. This is God's covenant and personal name. And David says that that personal covenant God is my shepherd. And if the Lord is the shepherd, then what does that make us? Sheep, that's right. Now, most of my life, I didn't know enough to be insulted by that. But then I spent some time reading from shepherds and from veterinarians, and I found out that sheep are often described with three words that all start with D. Right? Can you guess what one of those words is that starts with D? That's right, dumb. Have you ever seen sheep performing in the circus? You ever seen them jump through hoops or count with their hoof? And ever seen a sheep roll over on command? No, because sheep are dumb animals. But they're not just dumb. The second D often used to describe sheep is that they are defenseless. Some of you jump to the third one. We'll get there. Yep. Defenseless. When a predator comes after the sheep, how does it defend itself? With razor-sharp fangs, talons, a stinger. No, the wolf comes after the sheep. How does the sheep defend itself? Like this. That's all it's got. It's defenseless. It's dumb. It's defenseless. And I heard some of you out there say, dirty. Absolutely. Veterinarians talk about how dirty sheep are. You have seen a dog or a cat clean itself. Maybe you wish you hadn't, but you've seen that. 
Other animals will wade into streams in order to get clean. Sheep don't do any of that cleaning. And with all that wool, they are intensely dirty animals. And so veterinarians will tell you that they are more vulnerable to scabies, parasites, and other forms of disease because of how dirty they are. And so David is thinking about what relationship would properly represent his relationship to God And he thinks back to those years of leading around dumb, defenseless, dirty animals. And he says, yep, that's it. That's it. That's me. And I got to say, when I think about God's creation purpose for my life, and I think about his ultimate standard, there are so many times when I see the sheep likeness in my life. Anyone else? Where, Where I recognize my thoughts aren't holy. That words come out of my mouth and I, wish, I, I immediately wish I could get them back in. When I act out of selfishness instead of love. When it comes to God's design for me and, and his standard, I'm a sheep in desperate need of a shepherd. And who does David say the right shepherd is? It's the Lord. Now I want you to see, David doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. He doesn't even say the Lord is the shepherd, although that's true. What does he say? The Lord is my shepherd. Absolutely. And you guys, that's such an important distinction. The difference between the Lord being the shepherd and my shepherd makes all the difference. It is a difference of authority, a difference of submission. The difference between the shepherd and my shepherd. My son competes on the track team at the college that he goes to. And he has a coach. And do you know what he calls that coach? Coach or sir. And when the coach says, hey, I want everybody to go run a mile to warm up, do you know what my son does? He runs a mile to warm up. And when the coach says, everybody go and hit the weight room, do you know what my son does? He hits the weight room and he does the workout that the coach has given to him. I know his coach. I have a very different relationship with him. Do you know what I call Isaiah's coach? Scott. And if I was at practice and Scott said, I want everybody to go and run a mile to warm up, do you know what I would do? I would sit there on the bench and watch them. And if Scott came over and said, hey, Matt, do you want to join them? I'd laugh. right? Because I would assume he's joking. And the idea of me trying to keep up with them is funny. Why is there that difference in relationship? Because while I acknowledge that when it comes to that team, he is the coach, he is not my coach. It's a complete difference in terms of authority and submission. And David says here, the Lord is my shepherd. He doesn't say the Lord is a shepherd. That's incorrect. He's not one shepherd among many shepherds. He doesn't even say the Lord is the shepherd. That's correct but not enough. He says, no, no, the Lord is my shepherd. I am in personal relationship with the shepherd where I have submitted myself to his leading. The Lord's my shepherd. A question before we move on is how you would describe the shepherd in your own life. How do you see Jesus in your life? Is he... A Lord? Is he the Lord? Is he my Lord? Is he 
the shepherd or is he my shepherd in your life? Because we're going to move on now to seven beautiful promises in Psalm 23. But those promises are for those who can rightly say, the Lord is my shepherd. Is that true in your life? If it is, look at these seven beautiful promises, these blessings that are yours, if the Lord is your shepherd. Starting with the first one, inner contentment, genuine contentment in life. The Lord is my shepherd, so what is true? I shall not want. Before Jesus, there was this empty part of us on the inside created for relationship with God that wanted something in order to bring contentment in life, in order to bring fulfillment in life. We live in a society that is constantly speaking to us our need for their products in order to fill us. Maybe it's possessions, maybe it's a relationship we don't currently have, maybe it's greater comfort in our life, but it's constantly seeking to convince us we need something else for contentment and fulfillment. But for the person who has the Lord as their shepherd, they recognize that he is all-sufficient for bringing contentment to them. And they cease to have a want for those other things to bring fulfillment in their life. They can say with the psalmist in Psalm 73, a different psalmist, who says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has what? Nothing I desire besides you. Psalm 73, verse 25. Or they say with Paul, I consider all things, what? Rubbish compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. When the Lord is our shepherd we experience the contentment of relationship with him and that deep want in us ceases. That, that's the first blessing that comes if the Lord is your shepherd. You will experience contentment. Second, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will experience ultimate provision. Verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Just picture that setting for a second. Doesn't that picture sound beautiful and serene? Right? Green pastures, still waters. Sounds like the kind of place where I would love to just sit in a rowboat, drop a bobber into the water, and then just look around at all the beauty around me. But friends, as David is writing this, beauty and serenity are not his primary focus. This is a poem about what? Sheep. And for the sheep, green pastures and still waters are what? The ultimate buffet and resort center. Right? This is ultimate provision for the sheep. They, they need these green pastures. They need these still waters in order to experience provision so that they can live. And this is the ultimate provision for them. And David, as a shepherd, recognizes that for sheep to experience provision, it costs the shepherd. Let me say that again. For sheep to experience provision, it costs the shepherd. Green pastures are not everywhere you look in the Middle East. And so the shepherd has to search for green shepherds in order to feed his sheep. When he finds those green pastures and the sheep start to eat them, he has to work those pastures in order to work the land, even irrigate the land, so that they remain green for the sheep. There is a lot of work involved. Still waters. 
Israel is not known as the land of 10,000 lakes. Most of the water in Israel is moving, rivers, streams. Before, we said that sheep are dumb. And so one of the things that happens to a sheep if you bring it to a moving body of water is that it will wade down into the water to get a drink. They're not smart enough to know when to stop, and they get swept away by the current and die. So it is essential for sheep that there are still waters for them to drink from. Well, how do you make those? You dig trenches. You take heavy rocks and you pile them across streams to form dams so that the water pools up. There is backbreaking work. It costs the shepherd to provide for the sheep. And isn't that a reminder to us that the good shepherd has paid the ultimate cost in order to provide the ultimate provision for his sheep? Jesus has gone to the cross so that you can be ultimately provided for as his sheep. A second blessing that we see here is, if the Lord is your shepherd, you will experience ultimate provision. He has paid the price so that you will be provided for. And as a part of that provision, what's the next line of this psalm? He restores my soul. If the Lord is your shepherd, your soul is being restored. We, we love restoration, right? How many shows are there at this point that are designated for house restoration? How many networks have popped up that are entirely dedicated to the restoration of homes at this point? We love the restoration of a 55 Chevy or a 58 Corvette, something that is broken down, that is made like new. God is in the soul restoration business. We saw in our study in Romans that he has designed us, right? The original design for humanity were souls that were filled with love and holiness and joy and peace. But because of sin, our souls are broken down. But because of the work of Jesus, God is restoring our souls. I did a wedding yesterday for a young couple that's a part of the Shakopee campus here. And at the groom's dinner... Uh, the maid of honor said, we're going to tell some stories now. And if you want to tell a story about the bride, uh, let's tell a story about how wonderful she is. And if you want to tell a story about the groom, we'd love them for them to be embarrassing. And so people began to tell stories about the groom. Stories from when he was 6 years old, 16 years old, 21 years old. And they were embarrassing stories. Anybody have any stories like that in your background? No, huh? I'm the only one. Great. I see, I see a couple of you like, yep, you're the only one. Yes, you are. The groom came up and grabbed the mic after like a half an hour of embarrassing stories. He grabbed the mic, he held it in his hand, and he said to everyone at the groom's dinner, and there were like 120 people at the groom's dinner, there were 800 people at the wedding. He said to everyone at the groom's dinner, I'm a changed man, and set the mic down and walked away. <laughs> yes, right? He knows Jesus. Their wedding ceremony was beautifully about Christ and the difference that he's made in their lives because he is restoring his soul. Those stories of 
his soul at age 6 and age 16 and age 21. It's been transformed by the work of Christ, and he's being restored. And part of the blessing of his restoration of our soul is that he leads us into paths of what? He leads us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God gets all glory and is exalted when we walk the paths that are right. And so where does he lead us? He leads us into the paths that are filled with what is right, to those paths of righteousness. I want us to note that it does not say he leads us into paths of comfort. There are many days when my flesh wishes that's exactly what it said. That he was primarily dedicated to my comfort. But we saw last week in Romans chapter 8, that's not God's primary priority in our life, is it? He works all things together for good, Romans 8, 28. And how does he define that good in verse 29? That we might be conformed to the image of Christ. That we might become like Jesus, that we'd walk in the paths of righteousness. That's God's great design for us, and he is working towards that end. And many people in the room can give testimony that affirms some of the greatest work that God has done in my life is when I've gone through hardship, when I've gone through pain, when I've gone through challenge, and I've had to cling to him. Those are the times of greatest growth in my life. Now, I want you to think about this distinction between him leading us in paths of comfort versus him leading us in paths of righteousness in how we pray. When we pray for ourselves, when we pray for other people, is it primarily about circumstances changing so that they'll become more comfortable? Or do we primarily pray that people would know God more and become more like him in character? This week, as I was driving into work, I was listening to the radio and a song came on. And the song is entirely about uh, this woman is singing her proclamations of praying for other people in Jesus' name. And as I'm listening to this song about how she is praying for other people, everything she is praying for other people is just about improved circumstances in their life. Just that they would have greater health, that their circumstances would improve, that they'd face less struggle in their life. And what she never prays for in the midst of this song is that people would know God more, that he'd reveal more of himself to them. She never prays in the midst of this song for, for holiness so that people might combat temptation or that God would be at work glorifying himself as people come to know him. What it means to pray in Jesus' name doesn't mean to simply sprinkle the word Jesus into some sentences as if it is a magic word like abracadabra that gets people better luck in their lives. What it means to pray in Jesus' name is to pray according to his desires and his will. And when we look at the prayers that God has given to us in places like Matthew 6, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Colossians 1, etc., what we see is that God teaches us to pray primarily about God's glory, knowing him more, and our character becoming more like him. And if we're praying primarily about our circumstances getting better and a little bit about character, while God's design, what he shows us, is that we pray for character and a little bit about our circumstances getting better, 
We're not praying in Jesus' name no matter how many times we say the word Jesus as a part of the sentences. Right? To pray in Jesus' name is to pray over the things that are at the heart of Jesus. Knowing God more, becoming more like him in character. Now, please don't hear me say we should never pray for anyone's circumstances. Please don't hear me say that. But what is the majority of our prayer life about? What's the emphasis within our prayer life? It should match his emphasis if we're going to be a people who pray in Jesus' name. And his concern is to lead us in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. That is one of his great blessings for those who can say rightly, the Lord is my shepherd. Another great blessing, if the Lord is your shepherd, he overcomes your fear of death. He overcomes your fear of death. Right? The psalmist says, I, I don't fear even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Right? I'll, I'll fear no evil because he's with me. Right? He's with me. Absolutely. For those who are followers of Jesus and who can rightly say the Lord is my shepherd, death is but a shadow for them. Right? Death is but a shadow for them. I love the old story about a pastor from decades and decades ago named Donald Barnhouse. And Donald Barnhouse lost his wife at a relatively young age. And he talks about coming home from her funeral with his three elementary-aged children in the back seat of the car. And this man, who had spoken words of comfort to so many over the years, talks about not having any idea what to say to his kids as they drove home from his wife's funeral. And they stopped at a stop sign, and as they were stopped at the stop sign, this great big semi-truck came barreling by, and the shadow of the truck went over their vehicle. And Barnhouse had an idea, and he turned around and he said to his kids, would you have rather have been hit by that semi-truck that just went by or by the shadow of that semi-truck? Kids had no idea what he was getting at. I went, what? So he asked them again, and finally the oldest was like, well, of course we'd rather be hit by the shadow of the semi-truck because that doesn't hurt, that doesn't do any damage. Barnhouse said to his kids, I want you to understand that 2,000 years ago, Jesus got run over by the truck of sin and death so that mom this week would only face its shadow. And that is true for the believer. If Jesus is your shepherd, then death is but a shadow. And we pass through that valley of the shadow of death to the ultimate goodness that God has for us. And we don't need to fear evil in that situation because who is with us? Right? God is with us. Even in those hardest moments, even in our suffering, even in the moments that lead up to the point where we go to be with Jesus, he's with us. And he ultimately takes us by the hand and escorts us into paradise. And so we are blessed as those who have the Lord as our shepherd. And we need not fear death any longer. Another blessing that is listed in the second part of this verse is that if the Lord is your shepherd, you have ultimate comfort and protection from him. Right? What is it that gives comfort according to the psalmist? His rod and his staff, they comfort me, he says, right? His rod and his staff. Now, those are Hebrew words 
that were used for the two technical instruments that a shepherd would use while shepherding the sheep. What was the rod? The rod was a club. We might think of it as kind of like a baseball bat. And the shepherd would use the rod in order to protect the sheep from outside enemies. Enemies would come close and the shepherd would get out the rod and he would go to work protecting the sheep from the enemy. And as those who are sheep of the good shepherd, we are told that he protects us. The enemy comes against us. He seeks to tempt us. He he seeks to get us to sin. He seeks to destroy us. And we are told that protection is with the shepherd. There are times where we pray for protection for those who are close to us, our kids, our grandkids, our friends. Anyone ever prayed for God's protection for those people? Absolutely. And that is wonderful when we pray for that protection. But let us also recognize that what the Scripture teaches and what Psalm 23 points out is ultimate protection is for those who stay near the shepherd. There's no protection when a person wanders away. Protection is for those who stay near the shepherd. And so our primary prayer for those that we love is what? Let them remain close to the shepherd, intimate with the shepherd. The rod protects from the enemy outside of the flock. The staff protects from the greatest enemy the sheep has, itself. That's right. You know what the staff is, right? The shepherd's crook. It looks like a candy cane. A big candy cane. Oh, imagine a candy cane that size. (laughs) That would last all year. And how would the shepherd use that? When a sheep began to wander away from the flock, the shepherd would use it in order to pull the sheep back into the flock, particularly with young lambs. If young lambs began in this pattern of wandering away from the shepherd, the shepherd would use that crook in order to pull them back in so that they were close to the shepherd and close to the flock once again. It was a a gentle pulling and leading back to the shepherd. Have you ever experienced that the the staff of God leading you gently back to himself? When you're in the middle of some time of quiet and God's spirit comes and whispers to you about sin that has been taking place in your life that has removed you from the location of the shepherd, the spirit is gently leading you back. Maybe it was a fellow believer that came alongside and said, hey, uh, this is sin, what can I do to help How can I be praying for you? How can we move forward? That's often the gentle leading. At least it should be the gentle leading of God's Spirit back into the presence of the shepherd, back to where we belong on that path. Now, there are times where a young lamb is stubborn. And even though the shepherd leads them back to the path over and over again, they just continue to want to wander. They are prone to wander, and each time they leave, they leave quicker and they leave further. And sometimes in those situations, the shepherd would take drastic action. Drastic action in which they broke that lamb's leg intentionally. Now, if we think of lambs and sheep primarily as cute, cuddly pets, we go, oh, why would you do that? But the shepherd understands that if the sheep continues to wander away, that is certain death. It's not a matter of, of if they will die, it's a matter of when they will die. Because there is no protection. They are defenseless as they wander. And so he will 
break the leg of that lamb for the lamb's good, and then the shepherd will pick up that lamb and carry that lamb with him until that leg is healed so that that lamb gets used to being close to the shepherd. And there are times when we're prone to wander, when we're indulging in the same error over and over again, when we've wandered off the path, that God will institute a more severe form of discipline in our lives for our good so that we will not wander away into what is worst for us, but we'll come back and be in the presence of the shepherd where there is all comfort and all protection. Just think about that in your own life right now. Is there any way in which God's gently trying to lead you back into his presence, into where you belong? Is there any way where he's taking a more severe approach in your life, calling you to repentance so that you'll return and come back to where you belong? He leads us and guides us. He comforts us and protects us. As we continue on in the psalm, we just see that in the most general way, he blesses us. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Can you imagine a banquet for the sheep in the presence of all of the wolves? But because the shepherd is there, they're safe. David is surrounded by enemies, and yet God blesses him. Uh, anointing with oil in the Old Testament is done with people, objects, and animals to set them aside for special purpose. It was done with special guests that came into your home. It, it, it designates someone as, as special or set apart. And of course, you have this picture of the cup overflowing, which is constantly a picture of blessing within the Scripture. God blesses us those who can say he is their shepherd. Now, we may not always feel blessed because as people, we often measure our blessing based on how our immediate circumstances are going. If I'm healthy today, I'm blessed. If I'm sick tomorrow, I'm not blessed. If I can pay all my bills easily today, I'm blessed. If I'm struggling to pay my bills tomorrow, I'm not blessed. If I'm eating steak today, I'm blessed. If I'm eating hot dogs tomorrow, I'm not blessed. Right? We're measuring based on our immediate circumstances, but God is constantly calling his sheep to recognize their blessing based on their eternal and forever future. That we have, according to 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, this, this inheritance that will never perish, that will never spoil, that will never fade. And where is it kept? In heaven. right? Kept in heaven for you. And that is the ultimate blessing that we are promised as his people. That blessing overwhelms anything and everything else in our life. Our blessings are overflowing. And finally, the final blessing for those for whom the Lord is their shepherd is that they'll be with the shepherd forever, experiencing his goodness. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Right? What's the first word? Surely. Right? If, if it's God who has saved you, do you think he's strong enough to bring this about? Philippians 1.6 says, absolutely, he is going to carry it through to completion. Right? Surely, his goodness and his mercy are going to follow you if he's your shepherd. Oh, but, but I sinned yesterday. 
but I sinned this morning. Yes, but his mercy is greater than all of your sin, follower of Jesus. His mercy and goodness are like your shadow. You ever try to get rid of your shadow? Right? You can turn the lights off, but when you turn them back on, what happens? Ah, it's there again. Oh, look, it's right here. Right? When I was a kid, I mean, I'd, I'd watch Peter Pan. I tried to get rid of my shadow, running myself into the wall to see if it would work, trying to turn real fast to get rid of it. No, you can't get rid of it. And in that same sense, believer, God's goodness and mercy are hounding you. They're pursuing you, this word means. And so you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What does Jesus say? In uh, John chapter 16, verse 3, he says, If I go to prepare a place for you, you're going to come and be there. And I'm going to be with you in that place. We're going to be together forever dwelling in the house of the Lord. That's ultimate goodness. Just glance down at Psalm 23 one more time and look at the blessings that are there from the shepherd. Contentment. Ultimate provision restoration for your soul, leading in the right paths, overcoming the fear of death, comfort and protection in his presence, overflowing blessings and forever goodness. That's pretty good, right? It all depends, right, whether or not these belong to you, all depend on that important clause at the very beginning. The Lord is my shepherd. And so I'd ask you one more time, what is your relationship to God as shepherd? Have you placed your faith in Jesus so that he has moved from being a shepherd to being the shepherd to being able to call him my shepherd? The one who leads me and guides me through life. If you're here today, and God's Spirit is at work in you, and you're saying, I, I think God's been the shepherd in my life, but I'm not sure that he's ever become my shepherd. Let me encourage you to take those connect cards that you got earlier and just write my shepherd on them somewhere. We'd love to connect with you to talk about what it looks like in order for God to move from being the shepherd to being my personal shepherd in my life. And you can put those in the red buckets in a few minutes as they go by. Right now, we're going to transition to a time of taking the Lord's Supper. And as we do, we recognize that it is because of the work that Jesus has done that we can be a part of the flock or family of God. And so we enter into this time with thanksgiving. We enter into this time with joy because of what Jesus has done so that we can have relationship with the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. And so let us spend some time giving thanks to the Good Shepherd who has laid down his life for the sheep. You can make your way to the tables coming down the inside and returning around the outside. And you can take the bread and the cup and return to your seats. And I'll lead us in the taking of those elements in just a few minutes. Our life is in the hands of the Maker heaven our salvation is the result of the work of Jesus Christ and would you take the bread that represents his body that has been broken for us and would you eat it all in remembrance of him and would you take the cup for the forgiveness of our sins 
And would you drink it in remembrance of the great work of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? I'm going to pray for us as we transition to a time of taking our offering. Again, you can put your Connect cards in the red buckets as they go by or, or your offering, or there's other ways that you can give offering as well. And I'd love to pray for us as we enter into this time. Father, we recognize that we can only give because you first given to us, that we only love because you first loved us. And we want to pray that you'd be working now in the things that we give in order to bring more and more worshipers to your name. We give joyfully because we love you, Lord, and we love what you do. And we're thankful for this, uh, this opportunity to be a part of all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.